Today's episode of the Celtics Noise Podcast is brought to you by Concussion, directed by Diego Lozano. Premiering October 8th, Concussion is a dark satire that explores the hypocrisy of the entertainment industry through a thrilling four-minute ride into the brain of an eccentric artist. Be sure to look for Concussion on YouTube and find it streaming everywhere October 9th. Welcome to another episode of the Celtics Noise Podcast. I am your host, Greg Manakis, and today we welcome in frequent guest. Is he a co-host or is he not? He who has a fake ID hanging somewhere in a liquor store in Dorchester, and my best friend since I was two years old, Will Ware. How the hell are you? What up, what up, what up? How's it going, man? Appreciate, uh, appreciate you giving my fake ID some love. Been a minute since I thought about that. Do you remember what store it's in? It's uh, it's the one right off of the boulevard, off Morrissey Boulevard. I think it's the, it used to be Ted Barry's family's liquor store before they moved it over to buy JFK. Um, I, I didn't think know that. It's, I think it's called Supreme, but I, I could be wrong. But um, best story from that is, so first of all, I got that ID taken away when I was, I want to say, it's like ludicrous to even think about now. I think I was like six, 15 or 16. Like, that's insane to even try getting away with a fake ID. Went up there, got it taken away. And I remember a year and a half later, uh, shout out to Corey Brooks. Corey Brooks' dad, Randy Brooks, who was a parole officer, found it. He was also our baseball coach at the time. Found it in there. Pulled me aside because he told me he tried to get them to take it down. And the lady kicked him out of the store for trying to get my ID taken down. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, first of all, RIP, Mr. Brooks. Great yeah. dude. Uh, great dude. This is Corey's second shout out. Uh, shout out, Corey. Uh, I was impressed with Corey's um, level headedness after the Celtics blew that game um, on Twitter. I was expecting him to be lambasting the Celtics, but he, he, he did a pretty good job keeping control of himself. Was that it? Was it Supremes or was it Alexander's? Maybe it's Alex- Alexander's is the name of it. There you go. That's exactly what it was. It was Alexander's. Okay, so that's the one, like, right when you get off the highway? Right, right, next, the, to, uh, right next to the Staples. Numbers. Yeah, right across next to Staples and Walgreens and that, uh, and that little, little, like, strip. Across from Pubbaginos. Yeah, exactly where it is, yep. That's our spot, man, Pubbaginos. PGC, <laughs> Pubbaginos crew in the house. That's a throwback right there, man. PGC, GPC, Totlock crew. I still don't got any love for fruits and vegetables, man. No love for fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Yo, the funny thing is, uh, actually, my cousin, um, she married a dude that went to CM, and he, actually, you met him. You met our guy, Tony. Tony oh, Tony's the, the man. Yeah, Tony eating the duck eggs. Uh, I went to visit them <laughs> the over, uh, Tony. I went to visit them over Christmas, and they talked about um, some kids in their neighborhood in Dedham throwing pizza on their car, and he was like, yeah, I thought it was fruits and vegetables making a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, those... Those like uh, neighborhood rivalries with the Dorchester Southie and then Dorchester Rozzy, Dorchester West Roxbury, those are classic, man. Those are, they're so dumb looking back on them. Like, I don't know if, if any of those kids like still hold any resentment in their hearts. I just like sort of imagine they do, but I would imagine also that they've all moved on and like have families and stuff now. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I they probably going, do. And the thing is, like, yo, the, the funniest part, and I, I, think, I think about this every once in a while, is the evolution of, like, neighborhood beefs. And I've kind of wondered, and I assume it is outside of Boston, that there's kind of, like, the same thing. 
where you think about it, like in Dorchester, it was like Neponset and Totlot for a little bit. Then it's like that combines and it's Savin Hill. Then it's all like Dorchester in one. Then it's like Dorchester versus Southie versus Charlestown versus Westie. Then it's like Dorchester and Southie versus Westie. Then as you get older, it becomes Boston versus like non-Boston suburbs kids. And then yep. like even a little bit in college, it's like Massachusetts versus non-Massachusetts people. Yep. So it's this weird evolution of this like group mentality. And like I said, I, I think that applies outside. Maybe Massachusetts people are just fucking bananas, but I think it applies outside. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just like a product of how big your world is at the time. And like when you get to the, the boundary of your neighborhood, you start getting territorial in like some weird visceral like caveman way. You know what I mean? So like as your worldview starts expanding, you just start expanding your boundary, your actual physical boundary and what you hold within you as your territory. And I think it's just kind of natural to butt heads. And then eventually, you know, people kind of get over it. I mean, I got over it pretty early. I was never like that much of a territorial dude. I always thought those neighborhood beasts were so silly. Um, but yeah, like, that's enough of that Dorchester talk. I don't know how many people, uh, following Celtics noise they're actually from Dorchester what do you think uh, we probably got a handful here but I think uh, I think this is a good time to make a, a very seamless transition to the Celtics <laughs> absolutely absolutely so um where do you want to start man like do you want to get sad do you want to just like look at this objectively you want to go morning box score to start and then we can kind of let our emotions come out as they may well I mean just Let's just talk about where we're at right now. Where you know, what's today? Today's Tuesday. Game happened Sunday. We're a couple days removed. Um, you know, I think morning box score, even more than just the pure numbers today, is just kind of our overall thoughts and views of yeah. You know what happened, where we're at, and then kind of where we're going. So you know, two days removed. We were down three one. You and I both knew it was a long uphill battle, and you know. I woke up this morning and my girlfriend thought I was in Lorena thought I was in a bad mood. And she's like, Oh, is it cause you thought there was going to be another game tonight? <laughs> and I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense with how invested I was, but you know, you and I talked about it, I think before game five, like once we went down three, one, we knew it was a long shot to win three in mm -hmm. a row. Yeah. And even as I talked to her this morning about, you know, she watched game game six with me and she was like, why are you being so negative? It's just, I had, you know, it's just, I, I could feel certain things happening and we might get into it later, but I'm never going to forget being up 96, 90 around nine minutes to go. And you know, you were, I got, I got to give you some kudos, my dude, you were right on about if that's a close game, the heat, we're going to take it. You were spot on about that. And it was right at 96, 90, where I was realizing that, that you were going to be very accurate on that. And it was going to go one of two ways. Either this is where the cells create enough separation that the heat can't close that gap late, or it's going to be exactly what happened. I didn't necessarily know, you know, Hero and Bam were going to do what they did. Um, but the heat quickly, in what felt like a blink of an eye, closed that gap. And from that point on, it just, it just never felt like it was going to be the Celtics night again. But, you know, kind of circling back two days later, where you at? Um, well, real quick, like I was texting Phil Keith throughout the game and I was, I was really nailing some, uh, some calls that I thought Steven should be doing, you know, with, uh, I, I like that he played Canner, but I was immediately like, yo, we got to get Canner off the court. Um, knuckleball you know, wasn't knuckling. Knuckleball was not dancing that night, my friend. 
And, you know, going to Grant, I thought we should have went to Grant a little bit sooner than we did. I thought we should have kept Grant on the court at the end of the game. Um, I just loved what he was bringing in terms of physicality. And that dude's such a gamer. You know, I, I really liked what he was doing against Bam. And the moment he came out of the game, that's when Bam went on his run and took over. Uh, but at 96-90, bro, you know, I, I was texting Phil and I was like, I, I don't feel comfortable with this lead at all, you know, and then we just got steamrolled. Like, it wasn't close from that moment forward. And we just started taking bad shots. There was way too much Marcus at the end of the game. Um, anytime Marcus is shooting 22 shots and 13 threes, that's just not a good sign because that means those shots should have been going to Jalen, Jason, and Kemba. And they yeah, just I, I would argue it was too much Marcus all game, even even though I know he made four of his first eight. And I love Marcus. We've talked about the roller coaster with Marcus. Yeah. I even I even I even texted in one of our group chats after he made, I think, two of his first three shots that I hated both of those shots. They oh, went yeah. in. They went in. And I think out of the four three pointers that he made, there was only one of them that I distinctly remember being like, that's a shot that I like, that I'm okay with, it makes sense. And mm-hmm. then, you know, like I said, just too much Marcus shooting in general throughout the game for my liking. What I don't understand with the Celtics, I'm already getting frustrated like thinking <laughs> about it, is like it was so clear that we were better when we drove the ball to the basket, especially Marcus. You know, the, his best game was the game he got to the line, what, it was like 10 times. And, you know, looking at the morning box score, we don't have to do like an official segment here, but we only got to the line 15 times compared to the Heat getting to the line 26 times. And it was actually like a plus 10 at the end of the game. And that was pretty much the deficit, you know, that we just, for whatever reason, couldn't get it through our thick goddamn heads that driving the ball to the basket is effective. And Mark is shooting 13 threes. is just never going to pan out in a big game, man. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, he took two back-to-back corner threes from the right corner in crunch time. And those possessions, I mean, they were open threes, but like the Heat were willing to live and die with that. And he could have, he could have drove the ball. It was, the most frustrating thing was that the other guys on the court, when they had those open threes, they were driving the ball and then kicking to Marcus, who was shooting it. It's like Marcus should be the one driving and kicking yeah. to the better shooters. And it, it felt like that was happening all series. And that's why I was getting so angry with Tatum. I was like, dude, you need to be the guy shooting it. If you shoot 17 threes tonight, you shoot 17 threes. That's totally fine. But you can't – even though he took 10 threes, I think. I think he took 10. That's to, still, I'll, I'll look it up, yeah. Yeah, that still just wasn't enough, man. And I know Tatum did a great job playmaking, and he was – you know, you can't argue with his numbers at the end of the day. If we were going to win that series, it was going to be because of Jason Tatum. It wasn't going to be because of Marcus Smart. And we needed Tatum to at some point realize that. And that was the same thing that happened against the, um, what was it, against the, against the Cavs a few years back when Tatum had that dunk on LeBron and then, like, didn't touch the ball the rest of the game. Yeah. It's like you, you've got to start developing that at the end of the game no matter what. I'm the guy with the ball, and if we're going to get an average three-point look, I'm going to be the one taking the average three-point look, not you, Marcus Smart. And hopefully at some point Tatum get, like kind of figures that out. This is why I was saying before game five, it just felt like we weren't ready. You know, I thought the Toronto series was going to be the series where we figured it out and it just wasn't. It wasn't our year. Yeah. And, and you know, I think the Tatum point's an interesting one. I, I think we should talk about Tatum for a little bit because to a degree, 
this postseason is going to be defined by by Tatum and what mm-hmm. what the future holds. This was to a degree a glimpse into it, and you saw it in different parts with Tatum. And you know, once again, as we all know, he's 19, aka 22, averaged 25, 10, and five. You know, you've probably seen different stats floating around depending on how you label. It's a very small list of players mm-hmm. that at his age have been able to do what he just did this postseason. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like the criticisms are fair. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we have for now. And this is something I want to get to to fall back on is, hey, he's 22. This is the first time he's had these responsibilities. This was the year that he made the leap from potential to here's what it is. And now his next jump is a superstar jump. That's the next, the next mm-hmm. true leap. I think for now he's firmly established himself as a star and he's really on the brink or the cusp of that, of that A1 superstar level. If he had taken the Celtics to the final, he's in that. That's, that's, that's that, that final stamp on it. But there's still those moments where I think, you know, you look at first quarter of, of game six, he goes 0 for 5. We all know about, mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, was a game four where he didn't score in the, uh, in the entire first half. Um, had troubles, even though he had a, a really good game five, he still had troubles early on in the first half getting going early. And those are just some of the things that, you know, from those really true A1 guys that you can't have. And so one of the things that I think for Tatum and, and, you know, you're right, it's going to be a little bit more trial and error. And we had a big discussion about his three point shot at the end of regulation in game one, you and I were okay with it. We had other friends that hated the shot and I get it. I, you know, it, it, they want him to drive tie game, but at the end of the day, that's a shot that he's very comfortable. He's made it. He's that's his goat. What right for now, I would say probably his signature move, that kind mm-hmm. of side step back, uh, Can I stop shot. you real quick? Yeah, jump in. So after after he took that shot, right, just like think back really quickly, go through all the moments of Tatum on offense the rest of the games. Can you really picture him shooting that shot again in the series? Like I, I really don't remember him shooting too many more left to right through the leg, jump back into a three-pointer. Like, I honestly don't remember. I, I would be surprised if he shot more than five of those the rest of the series. I, I, I'm just going purely off of, yeah. you know, a vague memory of the series right now, but that's kind of how I saw it. I wonder if he lost confidence in that shot or if the Heat just knew after that, like, that's his pet move. Mm-hmm. If there's going to be a shot we're going to take away from Tatum, it's that one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you might be right, and you know, I, my memory is not not quite as good. Probably smoking too much weed doesn't help all that, but I, I can't quite remember if that's the case. But I, you know, as we've talked about in the season, we've seen him make make and take that shot. And you're right, maybe he got spooked uh, in this series. But I think that speaks to you know, throughout the rest of the series, you know, we didn't really see him being the guy to take mm-hmm. the shot where it's like, hey. Games on the line it doesn't always have to be at the last second. It could be in the last at any point in the last two to three minutes that you know we need to run, we need to stop, we need a bucket, and you didn't quite see Tatum get that. And I think that's something that next season we really have to keep an eye on as he tries to make that a one jump. Is in the last two three minutes, is Tatum going to say, "Give me the ball and get the fuck out of the way"? Yeah, that's a great point, man. And he, he just really wasn't – like, it's, it's one of those things that you just feel as you're watching a basketball game. Like, Jamal Murray does it. Jamal Murray says, give me the ball, get the fuck out of the way. Um, Donovan Mitchell did it. You know, with Tatum, I know Stevens' offense is not built for guys to do that, but that's what really ends up winning basketball games. 
And you saw Jimmy Butler do that earlier in the series. You saw Bam do that in this in this game. It doesn't yeah, have to be the, doesn't have to be the same guy every game, but somebody has to do it, and it can't be Marcus Smart. Yeah, no, and that was and so that's what I think was was one of the things that amazed me and also surprised me so much about this series was watching. You know, obviously Tyler Hero had an out of body experience in that in that game uh, game four. But you look at the way that that game ended, and that was, you know, aside from Spo out coaching Stevens, which we can talk more about maybe, but, you know, one of the things that was somewhat disappointing is, yes, going into the series, did Hero and Bam have the same responsibility that the young guys on the Celtics did? No. But what did mm-hmm. they do? They fucking nutted up, grabbed the reins. And like I said, from that 96-90 point, it was Hero that got them back into the game in a blink of an eye. And then Bam just went full baller mode and just mm-hmm. straight up took the game over down the stretch. And when he just straight up took Tice off the dribble, shoved him out of the way and dunked on him, you knew that shit was a wrap. There was no coming back after that. Yeah, Bam, that's a great point. And Bam was probably the best player in the series. Like, I mean, definitely in that game. But overall, he had the the two signature moments, really. Blocking Tatum at the rim and was that game one? And then closing them out. So, you know, he bookended the series with, with play on both ends. And Bam out of bio, man. I think he's a legend for 15 from the field. And it wasn't like he was just dunking the ball. He was hitting yeah. that main shot. He was going off the dribble. Like, that dude is a problem. And I'm really interested looking forward at the Lakers Heat series. Who's going to cover Bam? And will Bam, if he doesn't have the overwhelming physical advantage like he did over Tice, is he going to be as effective? And, uh, like, I mean, to me, he went another level to beat the Celtics, but he also had the physical advantage. So we're we're really going to learn a lot about Bam Adebayo in this finals. And, you know, I'm going to – go with the, the people that have the track record and say the Lakers win that series pretty handily. Um, but I counted out the heat against the Celtics. I really thought we were the better team and we just weren't. So who knows, man, but I think we'll learn a lot in those first two games. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Um, just looking ahead to the finals here, just to, to sneak a, a prediction and kind of a preview of, of that. And yeah, I, I think ultimately I would end up going Lakers in six, but the the funny part is if I really think about this, I feel like there is an argument for for the Heat to win this, a very realistic argument, a very probable argument, but at the end of the day, I'm just not betting against LeBron James. It's just I just you just can't yeah. at this point. I just I just don't think it makes sense to do that. And you know, really if you look at these two teams, I outside of LeBron and LBJ. I despise the Lakers role players. I Mm -hmm. hate them so much. It bothers me every time because I feel like in almost every series or every matchup that you've tried to think about them in, you're always going to say you're worried about it. They're 12 and three in the playoffs. They're 12 and three. At the end of the day, you know, that I think there is a certain balance you need between talent and depth. But when your talent Mm -hmm. is LeBron, the best player in the league, Anthony Davis, maybe top five, maybe just outside the top five at mm-hmm. six. And your two, your top two are going to be better and consistently better on a night-to-night basis than anyone else the other team can roll out. I yeah. mean, as long as they're serviceable, maybe that's all you need. Maybe that's all you need. Because if you look at the series, it's a, it's LeBron, AD, and then the next five or six guys are all easily, easily on the Miami Heat. But I just think at the end of the day, 
it's, it's going to be AD and Braun. It's going to be too much. And, you know, like I said, I see a, a scenario in which, in which the Heat make this closer, the Heat even pull this off. But I, I think Braun's just got – Braun's too geared up after that performance he put on in game five. That mm-hmm. dude is so effing in control of everything that happens on a court that it blows my mind. And, and I don't think he's going to let this slip away. <laughs> yeah, I mean – it's really going to be interesting for the Celtics moving forward to watch this series, right? Because if the Heat are able to take the Lakers to seven, or if the Heat are able to win this series, then Stevens can, you know, look at what the Heat did and say, okay, with our current makeup of our roster, we are much more similar to the Heat than we are to the Lakers, right? So we can win a championship continuing to play that we're playing, or they're going to have to make a decision and say, okay, Tatum is definitely one of those guys that's a top 10. Jalen could get to top 15, maybe his ceiling. Um, I think that's best case scenario. Jalen makes top 15. But after that, like, do we need to bring in a bona fide star? Not a Kemba Walker, who's not a star. Not a Gordon Hayward, who's not a star. They're really good players. But are Jalen and Tatum enough to get us to a title? Or are we going to have to potentially package JB with Smart or JB with a couple other people to get someone that is just one more level above? Because if, if the Heat are able to take down the Lakers, I think the Celtics can feel really confident moving forward, especially with the youth of our team. And I'm, I'm, I'm just putting this on record. I think that Tatum and Brown can get us to a championship at some point in their careers. Um, they are still very young. But I think this is going to be a really good litmus, litmus test uh, watching the series for Danny Ainge and Stevens. Yeah, I'm on board with you. I, I think it's too early to start thinking about if if JB is going to be that, if he can be that number two guy. I mean, they're, they're 22 and 23. So I have some reservations because this did seem like, you know, I, 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 I was thinking all series about the window, the window for even though we are a young team, mm-hmm. you know, you think about the early Shaq Penny magic, you think about the the thunder back in the day with with KD Harden Russ, and it seems like man, you, you got those two or even they had three, four different guys in Oklahoma City, you think man, the, the championships going through there for the next decade. And in the East, there's a lot of question marks that are going to make this a lot tougher going forward. Mm-hmm. We talked about the heat. They're going to be still together and they got cap space to bring in somebody big in the next year or two. Um, they got a 20 year old stud and hero, 23 year old and bam, the nets are getting back KD and Kyrie. Uh, Chris Paul's looming out there as a move for somebody. If they want to make another jump, the Sixers still have a shit ton of talent. What are they, what are they mm-hmm. going to do with it? Who's going to be their coach? What are they going to look like? You know, that's another mystery. And then all of this, oh yeah, Giannis is still in the, in the freaking East. So, so there's a lot, a lot going on, but I, I think the Celtics are, are well positioned, but you always got to worry about, about that window. But you know, with, with Jalen and JB, I, I think they're the path forward right now. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and this is a good way for us to kind of transition, you know, out of last year and, and let's take at least a, a brief look and we'll do some more podcasts on this, you know, later in the offseason where we do some real deep dives. But just looking forward, you know, Tatum, this offseason, you give him the max. It's no, it's no doubt. You don't got to be mm-hmm. smart. You don't got to be – you don't got to beat around the bush. He's getting the max. You send it to him. JB's max contract starts next year. The plan right now is you build around the Jays. And then from there, it's how do we get better outside of that? 
And mm-hmm. that's where you got to look at, you know, is there, I think for the most part, we can expect the two J's, Kemba, Marcus, four of them for sure are back next season. But even, even really, I, I feel like Kemba's probably going to be really, would be really hard to move in any scenario. But, you know, outside of those three, I think everyone in some form or fashion would be available if it makes sense. I'm not advocating for moving Marcus. I don't, I would not do that unless the move were right. But Gordon Hayward is going to be the most interesting piece to watch, I think, for next year to see as he becomes an expiring contract, which assuming he's going to opt in into that $35 million deal. I don't think there's another, you know, Al Horford situation out there where he doesn't opt in because there's a bigger payday or a longer term payday with his injuries. I just don't see that being the case. So he opts in for $35 million and, you know, maybe you – Maybe there's a trade and, you know, there's already a rumor out there where we've been out of the playoffs for two days and there's already uh, rumors about him to the Pacers. Yeah, and this is why going into last season, I think it's so important to really consider how the league is evolving and the types of players that you need to be successful in the playoffs. And as much as I love Kemba, and I thought he did a great job all year, he was solid in the playoffs, that's just not the type of guy that you're really going to be able to rely on because of the defensive liabilities that he brings versus who I was advocating for signing last year was Malcolm Brogdon. Like a guy like that, who is just a solid, steady presence who can guard anywhere from a point guard to a power forward in a pinch. And you, you throw a lineup out there of Brogdon, the Jays, Hayward and Tice or Brogdon, smart um, Jays, and Tice. And then it's just like, you're so switchable and nobody can take advantage of you. And now when we're at this point where like, we need to build around the Jays, but we're stuck with Kemba for the next, what, three or four years. Um, If we bring in Oladipo, like, what is that really accomplishing? Like we, that, that makes us smaller. Well, hold Um, up, hold up. So let's, let me just read you the report that came out just so, just so we can use that as a framework. So according to the Athletics NBA insider, Jared Weiss, who's been down in the bubble this whole time, I've seen him on Twitter, been following along, uh, a deal that would send Gordon Hayward plus picks and or cap space to Indiana in some combination of Victor Oladipo and or Miles Turner to come back to Boston. So depending on a few different things that I've read that have been kind of, you know, like this is all just, you know, all complete rumors at this mm-hmm. point season just ended two days ago depending on what you're reading Oladipo is what they're looking for and others it's Miles Turner which speaks to that size that that you're talking about and you know I, I think Turner's an interesting piece he's making 18 million he's already signed up for the next three years I'm getting a thumbs down from you tell me tell me your thoughts on on Turner as being in a switch whether it's Hayward for Turner straight up or Hayward pick something else for Oladipo and Turner what what are your general thoughts well, one, we're bringing, bringing in Oladipo. You're bringing in a guy who had a catastrophic injury just like Hayward. So, like, if we're going to trade Hayward, let's at least trade for someone who hasn't had a big injury. Like, we just yeah. lived through this for the past three years. So, automatically, I, 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 don't, I don't like that trade. And well, I, just I think don't, part of that's expiring for expiring, I think. Is yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, but I, I would rather see if we can re-sign Hayward for a long-term team-friendly deal. Um, you know, even if we, even if he opts in for this year, I think Hayward still has a few really good years in him. I, I was really impressed with what he was doing up until he got hurt 
in the bubble. So I'm not ready to give up on Gordon Hayward on the Celtics, even though he was terrible in the last couple of games. Like I still, I still believe that he and Stevens can like capture some sort of magic from Butler. Uh, but I do, I just don't like Miles Turner. He's a bad three point shooter and he shoots too many threes. He's in, he, he gets a lot of block shots, but he's not like a great team defender and he's not the, the type of guy that can just like guard anybody on the perimeter. Like he's not the best perimeter big to switch. Like he's athletic and he definitely would be the best big on the Celtics. He's an upgrade over Tice. I'm not saying he's not, but I don't know that. I want to I, – I, I would rather have somebody else, I guess, is my point. So, like, if – I would rather have another Texas product, Jared Allen, for example. I think Jared Allen is someone that, if we could figure out a way to trade for, is the type of guy that can switch out of people – switch onto people on the perimeter. I thought he did a really good job in the playoffs. I love what he brings. He's smart. He's like a taller Robert Williams with a brain in his head. Uh, which, which is really nice. Um, so I'm, I'm just not a, t- a Turner fan. I have to yeah. see it. I've watched him. We watched him at Texas. He was terrible at Texas. Um, and I, I haven't seen it in the NBA. I watched him during the FIBA tournament last summer. They actually chose him over Bam last summer. And he was awful then. And I just don't see it with that guy. I don't want to trade Hayward for Oladipo's expiring and Miles Turner. He's not the guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting position. And, you know, I, I will say to defend Miles Turner from his time at Texas, I was, was back when I was working at the university, that was just an abomination of a coaching season by, by Rick Barnes, who historically has wasted a shitload of talent. If you look all throughout the NBA, it's filled with guys that he recruited to Texas that mm-hmm. have done way better in the NBA than Texas ever did as an individual union. Grant Williams is also a Rick Barnes guy coming out of, out of Tennessee. But mm-hmm. That's I'm throwing that 100% on Rick Barnes. That dude sucks as a coach. I'm so <laughs> anti Rick Barnes. So I had to get that out of the way. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think Miles Turner's a little conflicting. I, I looked up the contractor. Like I said, it was 18 million. I think he signed up. For, it would be guaranteed at least the next two to three years. So you're committed to him as, you know, really that third piece behind Jalen and Jason. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I don't love that. Although depending on what happens to the cap, if it does go up 18 million looks a lot more palatable than some of these other contracts that, that you're seeing out there. And, and you're right. A Jared Allen's a much more ideal fit, but I think there's, you know, 75 to 80% of the NBA that that's saying the same thing about him. Um, you know, you talked about Turner's three point shooting I think he sometimes shoots the wrong shots overall for his career. He's just a shade under 36%, which isn't atrocious. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not bad. And I do wonder if, you know, we talked a little bit about Tice's fit during this past series against the heat. And we loved it in game five when he got a little bit aggressive and he Mm -hmm. wasn't afraid to shoot the ball, you know, in that series. And this is a very, you know, isolated incident that I'm using here as a hypothetical. If you switch out, Turner and Tice and Turner is the one that has opportunity. Turner's not gonna be afraid to take that shot, whether it's from the free throw line or if he's getting an open look from the corner and they're not going to ignore him quite the same way that you could Tice. So I do think it's in, I think it's interesting. I'm with you. I'm not sold on that being the move and given Oladipo's injury history, as you talked about, like switching out one injury, injury prone, former all-star for another injury prone all-star is not exactly who's yeah. Who's smaller smaller and not as good a shooter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. So, I I I agree that if you switch out Turner for Tice, 
that we probably win that series because I also think Turner can probably guard Bam. Um, I'd have to go back and rewatch uh, clips from that one-on-one matchup, but I remember Bam not being able to overwhelm Turner with physicality in that Indiana Heat series. Um, But one thing that is interesting is Smart, Kemba, Jalen, Tatum, and Turner all played together for the FIBA team, right? So if those four sign off on this, if they say, hey, no, we love Turner, we think that he would be great with what we do, then I'm, I'm telling you, that shit's happening. You know what I mean? So it's really, it's up to them. Like if, if they think Turner's not going to help them, if they saw something in the summertime that they thought isn't going to work with what they're trying to do, or if like he doesn't have that dog in him or something like that, then I, I highly doubt they're going to make that trade because I would imagine they're going to start consulting the Jays on how they feel about certain people fit in, especially when they've played with him for an entire summer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would, I wouldn't, be boasting about our the FIBA resume after that. Uh, I think what well, we Tatum, Tatum didn't there. play. Tatum didn't know, play. Was... Tatum got hurt and didn't play, which is which is yeah. totally fair. But just uh, that whole FIBA situation kind of seems like you just want to want to wash your hands of that, not not necessarily put that on the resume as as how you decided to put the team together. Hey, I'll tell you what. Uh, they couldn't close out games in that FIBA tournament, and it was pretty much just the Celtics on the floor. So we should have seen this coming. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this, because I know we're, uh, we're going to wrap up here in a little bit. But before we, we get out of here, what do you think about, you know, some of the, the edges of, of the Celtics team? You know, we've talked a lot about the main five guys or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tice's contract is non-fully guaranteed. Cantor has a player option for yep. $5 million. And then we've got a slew of young guys that, you know, pretty quickly here, you know, I think Grant's established. He's a guy that, that we can, oh, yeah. we, that we can see a future for. And I, and I think Robert Williams is probably in that, but then you got the, the Carson Edwards, Romeo has been hurt mm-hmm. the whole time. What do you do with Tremont waters? And then on top of that, we have three first round picks this year. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming with those three picks, either Danny Ainge is going to have to take a couple of foreign guys because we can't fit everybody on this <laughs> roster. And you don't want to end up in the situation where, you know, it did feel like Stevens got out coached, but at the same time, he didn't have the same weapons that Spo and Nurse did deeper in his bench to go ahead and, and find that knuckleball or find that lefty specialist yeah. to get you out of a jam. So what, what do you think about some of those guys? Well, Ainge got to stop falling in love with guys under six feet. That's, that's the number one thing. Like, let's stop bringing in tiny guards. That's just not – that's not going to work in the playoffs. As, I love Tremont Waters. I'm, like, the biggest Tremont Waters fan there is. And I wanted him to play over Wanamaker. But in the, in the playoffs, as I saw what Wanamaker was able to do just with his size, I was like, uh, would, would Waters have even contributed right now? I don't even know. Like, he's so little. You know what I mean? Edwards is tiny. We drafted two guys that are like 5'8". What were we thinking? And we just need to start taking guys that at least, one, let's start looking for guys that can shoot, that are like legitimate mm-hmm. shooters. Yes, 100%. And then, and then guys that just have a good IQ. You know what I mean? That's pretty no, much I, all you need to find. Because Langford, as much as I, I actually like Langford as well, mm-hmm. the dude can't shoot. And he, he has a high IQ, but he can't shoot. And he was hurt all yeah. year. So I, I'm not ready to give up on Romeo, but like, if I'm if I'm Ainge after what I just saw shooting do to me in the Eastern Conference Finals, that is my number one priority. I'm finding switchable wings like the three and D type, but not Jay Crowder three and D. Not guys <laughs> that are catch and shoot. And I, I would hey, how right was I on Jay Crowder? 
Oh I'll, my God. I'll give you that. You were, you, you were right about Jay Crowder. You were right. You were, you were yeah, right about he, that. He but, but the depth but, of those wings was still a problem. So we, we kind of evened yeah. out on that. Yeah. But he, I mean, he wasn't on the, he wasn't on the floor at the end of the game for a reason. You know, he, 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 we need guys that are going to be able to come off of screens and shoot like the Tyler heroes and Duncan Robinson's of the world, not guys that are just going to stand there. And I, I think that's important. Yeah, man. The, as soon as you mentioned the shooting, it's, it's funny. I was, I was taking a walk earlier today, kind of thinking in my head about some of the stuff that, that me, we might talk about. And one of the things that I was thinking of is, you know, I, I, have to, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know over the last three to five years under Stevens, we're always in that, you know, top five or so range with the amount of three-pointers we take. We have never had in any of these iterations of these Stevens Celtics a pure knockdown shooter. Like we've never had a Duncan Robinson. We've never had a JJ Redick. We never had a Kyle Korver, never had, you know, uh, any of these dudes that I'm, I'm naming right now. And I know those guys are prolific, but, but even just somebody that automatically you have to gravitate your defense to, we haven't had one of those guys. And I don't know. It, it's just funny that you brought that up because that's something I thought of that. I really think if we're going to shoot as many threes as we do, we got to find somebody that no matter what, no matter, you know, where they come in in the flow of that game, they have to be respected. Hey, man, would you trade Marcus Smart straight up for J.J. Redick? Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. I'm a big J.J. fan, um, and I think part of it is because I love his podcast game as well. Oh, great, um, great pod. I think they have pretty much the same salary. They, I'd, I'd have to check it. I think, yeah, I think they do. I think it's about 12, 13 million each, actually. Cause I did, I actually looked up JJ a few weeks ago. So I do think it's about the same. And, you know, to, oh, it's so tough, man. Cause I, I love a, a lot of the intangibles that, that Marcus brings. And, you know, I think of some of those games where even though we get frustrated with his shot selection, right now, you know, he's the guy that's all right, it, right or wrong. He's the guy that's like, hop on my mm -hmm. back. I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. see what happens. And, you know, sometimes he crashes, but there's a few nights like game two against the Raptors where he shines and he knocks down five or six threes, or he does it on the, the defensive end, which we always love. He's a first team all defense. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like my gut says no, but I'm definitely thinking about it. I'm definitely, I, I'm not, I'm not hanging up and saying it's a, it's a total no. It's I got to think about it, and maybe if there's something else added in, because if you're given the age difference, you know, yeah. you're I think you're going to need a little bit more back than than JJ. So depending on whether that's I mean we don't have any fucking more room for picks, but you know I just I don't know if it's going to be a pick or if there's another player that we put in that makes it more palatable. I don't know, but it's definitely something I'm thinking about. Yeah, we need that guy that can stretch the defense like side to side. Not that that dribble handoff was. Oh my God, that was giving me nightmares, dude. The hero and Robinson coming off the bam dribble handoff was such a great play. And as much as I love Marcus and I think he is a special defender, there are certain guys in the league that he can't guard. And those guys are the superstars. He couldn't guard, he can't guard LeBron. He can't guard Kawhi. He couldn't guard Jimmy Butler. Jimmy was just too big for him. You know, so like, as much as I think Marcus is an amazing first team all defense guy, like, he's not Drew Holiday, who I think – and I know that Drew got a lot of love when he didn't make the all-defensive team, but I've been saying that, I, that Drew's the best on-ball defender in the game. And I just love what he's able to do defending bigger guys, which Marcus cannot do. He can't defend the, the, big, the biggest, baddest guys, whereas Drew, you're like, okay, I'm putting Drew Holiday on Jimmy Butler. I'm putting Drew Holiday mm -hmm. on LeBron James, you know? 
So there is something, as much as I love Marcus, I think that if other guys step up, he's replaceable. It's not like, I mean, you, you're never going to find another Marcus Martin. He, he's, he's a one-on-one, but you can definitely replace a lot of what he does. And if, if Tatum and Brown decide to just like really take control of that team, then Marcus is definitely expendable as much. As, I love Marcus. I love him, love him, love yeah. him. But like we need a shooter and Marcus isn't a shooter. Yeah. And that, that's where it comes back into, you know, drafting, right? What's Romeo Langford, maybe Romeo Langford's defense off the bench and you have JJ shooting that mm-hmm. combines to maybe make up some of the difference. So I think that's, you know, definitely something that we got to keep an eye out here for, um, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting off season and uh, yeah. You know, I'm I'm excited to follow along. One of one of the beauties or the the oddities, I guess, of of the COVID bubble. Season starts back up, presumably right now, December 25th, a couple months <laughs> away. You know, by the time this finals ends, we'll you know you and I will be hopping on here, maybe bringing on bringing on some guests. We'll do some draft talk, some free agency talk, and you know we'll do a couple nostalgia pods for the boys and girls out there, Celtics Noise Nation. Do uh, yep. do some yep. do a couple of fun things, but before you know it, it's gonna it's gonna be uh, training camp, and we're gonna be right back at it with whatever the new team looks like for 2020-2021. Yeah, dude, I'm super excited for those nostalgia pods. Can we can we um, commit right now to doing a full episode on Dana Barris? That's a little bit tough, but I'll tell you what. You hit up our guy Dana Barris's IG. He all he does every single day is retweet highlights of his career. Okay. So if you're looking for Dana Barros content, it's out there. Follow him on IG. Uh, I'll, be, I'll tell you what. We will definitely work in the nostalgia pod. We got to work in Dana. We got to work in some Twan love. Uh, Todd we're, Day. We're def- about who? Some Todd Day. Some Todd Day will be featured <laughs> in there. We got to do a little bit of D Brown. Uh, I know already. Eric Williams. Uh, we got all of them. We already, I know uh, between us two and then our buddy Mark, who's out in London, shout out to Mark, Mocky Mark, Mark. <laughs> uh, hopefully we'll be bringing him on. We've already got a nostalgia draft that we're working out the the framework and structure for. And I think all those dudes are, are going to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for it, man. No doubt. And, you know, I actually, I mean, I've worked out with Dana before because when I was working those camps um, in, where was it, Kingston, that was at the Dana Barros facility. And he and I worked out together a few times. I got to know him a little bit. So there's a possibility that I might be able to get him on here as a guest. You know I know Walt. Mm-hmm. You know I know Walt. So I'm definitely going to hit up Walt and see if I can get him on to talk. Or maybe he can, like, link us with someone that might be able to come on for an interview. Maybe we could get Coach Willie May, Dorchester Roots. I had a dream, Will. I had a dream <laughs> that I bumped into Coach Willie May, right? And I, I forget what I actually told you or what actually happened in the dream, but the dream either went one of two ways. One way, Willie May ignored us and was like, I don't know you. I don't, I don't remember you because I think I told him I like met him at the Boys and Girls Club or something like that. And then he started doing chin-ups on like a freaking like iron pipe or something like that. <laughs> or, it was either that or he said that he was going to record something, but it went one of two ways. But if we can get Coach Willie May with those Dorchester roots, we can get Dana, we can get Walt. I think we could have some pretty cool guests, man. I'm looking forward to this offseason. I love that we have Celtics Noise now as a platform. I love that we have it just, like, as a way to really further our best friendship. Like, this is really cool. I, I really enjoy being able to just chat with you in this platform because as much as we can just talk like this in person, there is something to be said for, like, the per- performative aspect of uh, actually recording a pod. I've really enjoyed it, man. 
Yeah, man, this has been uh this has been a blast. It's something that, you know, I'm starting to, you know, wake up and go to bed with starting to think about what segments we're going to do, how we're going to do it, you know, and just being able to catch up. And like you said, uh, you know, it's, it's a whole different level for our, our friendship, which has already spanned almost 30 years. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's fun to do this, man. And I'm pumped that we're going to be able to bring some other people into it. Um, and I love when you had Kari on early on with Celtics knows, I'd love to get him back in here. Uh, and like we said, get Mark on. And if, if we can work those connects, I'll tell you what, you get Dana Barrows on, we will 100% do a full Dana Barrows podcast, all Dana, all the time. Flashback to the Dana Barrows basketball camp days, man. But um, uh, I'm assuming we'll probably let this finals get going, get through, and then we'll be we'll be back on here soon. All right, my dude. Well, this was fun. I will talk to you. Uh, let's let's try and like hang out uh, with the crew sometime soon. You know, I, I know we we got the uh, the concussion music video thing happening yeah, man. next Shout week. Shout that out real quick. Let let people know what's going on real quick. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a hip-hop artist, uh, part of a band called Black Sheep Optimist, but I got a solo career. Um, I, I love making music videos, and I shot a music video down in Mexico right before the pandemic hit with this amazing director, Diego Lozano, and the video is insane. I know you've seen, you've seen a cut of it, uh, but we're going to be doing a, a live Zoom uh, party, just like doing a world premiere of anybody's able to to join the zoom i'm going to put that stuff on facebook i'll put i'll put it on the celtics noise twitter uh but it's crazy man i'm excited i i really feel like it's it's definitely a, a pivotal moment in my musical career so i'm excited to see what happens with it but i know that if people watch it they're going to be really impressed and i think that it's going to really uh catapult me to a whole nother level i'm really excited about it yeah, man, I'm proud of you, dude, and I'm excited for, for next Thursday. And uh, to quote Shea Serrano from The Ringer, it's too weird not to watch. So if you see the link, join us Thursday. Uh, we'll get it popping, man, and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. I'll see you in real life. All right, Thursday, October 8th. Peace out, Will. You're the man. All right, Doc. All right, that's it for this episode of The Celtics Noise. Uh, Celtics will be back next year, everybody. We're going to be okay. Jays will be back. Kemba will be back. Hopefully we bring back Gordon Hayward and he's actually healthy and we finally get the year that we all wanted. Um, but thanks Celtics for um, giving us the memories this season. It was a fun ride. I'm glad that we got basketball back because when the pandemic initially hit, I didn't think that was going to happen. So I really appreciate it. I apologize for my audio. I recorded my audio using my AirPods today, not realizing that it was going to come out as speaker phony as it did, which is why this audio on my computer sounds so much better. I promise to get you better audio on my end moving forward. Shout out to Will. Shout out to Dana Barrows. Shout out to Walter McCarty. And shout out to all of y'all for listening. And I will see y'all soon. I'm going to play you out with my band, Black Sheep Optimus.
Boss, they shout my name like, oh my god Brother, he's wild like a constant, don't stop him